going to be taking a look at, at this particular one where Jesus was asked a question. And the whole teaching came out of a question that somebody asked. But the purpose, the reason for the purpose, person who asked him the question, it said it was to test Jesus. Now, if someone is coming to test you with a question, are they receptive or not receptive to truth? They are not receptive. The purpose of parables is what? Remember when Jesus gave the first parable? The purpose of parable was so that those who don't want the truth won't hear it. And those who want it will receive it. That was the purpose of parables. Now here's my question for you. If that is the purpose of parables and the person who is asking this question has already identified himself as someone who does not want the truth, how is it that that man understands the parable the same way that everyone else understands the parable. If the meaning in the parable is not obvious so that the people who don't want the truth don't see it, how is it possible that the man who asked the question understood it at the end? Now, most people who have ever heard the parable of the sower, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the parable of the Good Samaritan, tell me if this is the meaning that you had. The pur- purpose of the parable of the Good Samaritan is that we are always to look out for people and have mercy on them. And whenever we can, we should extend mercy. How many have heard that as part of the teaching of the parable? Yep. That's what the man understood it. That's what the world, doesn't the world understand that from this parable? Won't the world say, well, the Good Samaritan says you should be kind to people. You should show mercy. Doesn't the world understand that? If the world understands it, if the man who's resisting the truth understands it, if everybody in the gospel understood it this way, how can that be the truth? There has to be something else to it, isn't there? And here's another question I'm going to ask you. The first question that this man asks is not the question that gets answered at the end. Why is that? So, with that, we've introduced our parable. (laughs) Now we want to dig into it and learn some things from it. One thing I want to tell you about this parable, it always angers me when I hear people that get into this, this parable is not about social justice as it is not about the need for society to take care of the poor. Anybody who comes out of here looking at this parable and say, well, we have to have social justice is wrong. Anybody comes out of this with this with the idea of this parable, we've got to take care of the poor people. That is not the purpose of this parable. I hope by the time we get finished with this, you will understand that is not the purpose of this parable. Purp- one of the purposes of this parable is to literally crush this lawyer's pride and self-righteousness. Because this guy's got some. Because there is always a, gen- a difference between one who is a genuine seeker and one who is a hostile inquirer. We have to make sure that we stay on the side of being the seekers. Well, last week we were looking at be be a faithful servant so that when the master returns, you are found faithful. A lot of times we look at that parable as the ultimate return of the master. And I hope that uh, you went on home and did some more checking up on this and see that I don't think that parable is pointing to a single return but that we must always be watchful, not knowing when we're out there entertaining angels or entertaining, uh, doing good things, and, uh, and we're being watched. But we, don't have, we will not have time to go back over much of that at all. <clears throat> much of that at all. So if you <clears throat> weren't here, go on back and, and uh, check those things out. Let's get into Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We are only covering a few verses here, but it will take all the time that we have to do this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying... Now, that word testing there means exactly what you think it means. He came in there. I am going to try and catch Jesus on something. Now, I want you to see how Jesus answers this question. And you tell me when we get finished with this, if you don't think this is a surprise. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like a good question, doesn't it? He said to him... What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, that word they're reading, it basically means, how do you understand it? The Amplified puts it this way. How do you read it? How do you read it? If you want to see some other places in Scripture where this is, uh, 
in Acts chapter 8, verse 30, and Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Remember when the eunuch was reading from the prophet? That's, that's it right there. He said to him, do you understand what you are reading? Just because you are reading does not necessarily mean you are understanding. When Jesus is saying, how do you read? He's not saying necessarily that he has great understanding of it. He's asking him this. You're our lawyer. You're a person who does this for a living. You interpret the scripture. What is your reading of it? Not your revelation. What is your reading of it? There's other places you could look at this for too. Acts 13, 27. Uh, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. So when he's talking about the reading, reading can also mean hearing because someone is reading it for me and therefore I, I hear him. Now there's more we can do on that, but I just want you to get the idea here that he says what you're reading of it, it's not necessarily saying he's got a great understanding of it. He's, he's asking him, Right now, from what you have done in Scripture, what is your what what is the understanding that you have come to that tells you what eternal life is? And so he he tells him. So he answered and said, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." And he said to him, "You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live." But he wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" Now. Anybody surprised at Jesus' answer? How well, how shall I how shall I inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him to what? The law. Didn't, didn't Jesus point him to the law? He pointed him to the law. What is your reading of it? He read him the two greatest commandments in the Word of God, and Jesus said, "There you go. Do that, and you'll live." Anybody feel like? That's not the answer. Of all the answers that Jesus gives, do you ever get the idea that, you know what, that doesn't seem like that's a Jesus answer. I think this guy thought that too. Because when he came there, he was expecting Jesus to give him something that was apart from the law. And then he could get him on that. Give me something that tells me I don't need to do the law. And we'll get you on that. He's testing him. He's trying to get him to say something. Give me something in that area. And so, he didn't. He says, what you're understanding, what you're, what you're reading of the law, what you're reading from the, from the Word, what, what is it telling you to do? So he gave him the two greatest commandments. Now, we, we'll probably go over this a little bit later, but there are two places in the Gospel where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And when he answers them, he gives these two commandments out. Now, does Jesus do that before this passage or after this passage? Is this guy simply repeating Jesus' words that he has already said? Or is this guy coming up with this on his own? How many would like to know the answer to that? Now, see, some of the, some of the things with the gospel, is uh, they're not necessarily... It's, it's hard sometimes to put them in chronological order as to exactly what happened when. But... We'll, like I said, we may get to this one later on. I believe I gave you the two references where this is in the Bible. But you will see in, in Mark's Gospel, when he gives this account, what are the two greatest commandments? And Jesus says, here's the two. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. He says, on these two, all the, the, uh, the law hangs. It says, after that, in the Gospel of Mark, it said, after he spoke that to him, that no one dared ask him any more questions. Would that come before or after this story? It would seem to me that the story we're reading here with the Good Samaritan came before because people still ask questions after this. So, I was very intrigued by this man's answer because this man happens to pull out two scriptures or two commandments that Jesus even said, on these hang the entire law. How does this man do this? How does this man happen to pull out the two commandments out of all the ones that are in the Word? How does he pull out the two that are the most important? We'll get a little more into that later on. Mark's Gospel will help us with that. He seems to have some understanding, some revelation on this because this, these are the two that he pulls out. Now let's go on here. Um, it says here, let me read this again. 
the uh, verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So right now we have two questions that are asked, right? The first question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Has Jesus answered it? The man answered it, but Jesus has not answered it yet. Then we have the second question. The second question is, who is my neighbor? Now, we're going to give you a little, a little thing of, of stuff to come. Jesus does not answer this question. How many thought that the Good Samaritan answered the question, who is my neighbor? Yeah, it does not answer that question. Let's go on. Let's find out. Hope we got your curiosity up. But he wanted to justify himself. The word justify there means to render innocent or pronounce righteous. To render innocent or pronounce uh, righteous. The only other place we see this is in is in Luke 16.25. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. People will try and justify themselves or make themselves appear righteous before men, which is seemingly what this guy is trying to do as well. Weast puts the translation of Luke 10.29 this way, But he, desiring to show himself to be righteous, such as he wished himself to be considered, said to Jesus. So he puts all that in there with it. Desiring to show himself to be righteous, such as he wished himself to be considered. He wanted everybody to see that he's righteous, so he wants to justify himself. And so he says, who then is my neighbor? All right. Now we're ready for the parable. And Jesus answered and said, Weiss puts it this way, having picked up the substance of his interrogation. <laughs> I don't know exactly all that we've got to from the Greek on that, but he doesn't put things in that with it doesn't pull out from the Greek. So I just wanted to read that part of it in there. He said, having picked up the substance of his interrogation, Jesus is answering this way. So he goes on. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now this word here, fell among, actually comes from one Greek word. Fell among is to fall into or encounter a particular situation. It is to fall into or encounter a particular situation. Acts 27.41 talks about when uh, Paul is on the boat and they're trying to get him to the trial. And they came upon or they fell upon where the two seas met. That's the exact same word that's used. That word's not used very often in the word, but it's used in those particular places. So a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Doesn't seem like he did anything on his own to do this. This is a common place. This is a common place that you have to, a road that you have to go if you're going to go from Jericho and Jerusalem. I am told there are other ways. This is one particular way. This particular way goes about 17 or 21 miles. I've seen it listed both ways. 17 or 21 miles. It's also called the road of blood because apparently there was a lot of things like this that went on on this particular road. The road is a scary road. How many have ever been on roads around here that scare you? Generally, the thing that scares people the most is high elevation dropping suddenly. And nobody likes that, especially when you're on, time, on uh, little tiny guardrails that are there keeping you in. We don't like that sort of stuff. We like It is 4,000 feet difference from Jerusalem to Jericho. 4,000 feet Difference going over about a 17 mile span. There are some places on this particular road when they take bus tours. Keep this in mind if you're ever going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to take a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the bus tour, there are some parts that scare people in the bus because of their steep uh, incline or uh, decline depending upon which direction you're going from. But Jerusalem is up on a hill. It's on a high hill. It's why it's a, a well-defended city. Jericho is down lower. And so no matter which way you go from Jerusalem, you are going down. And so they are going down to Jericho. So the thieves and robbers, they come upon them. There's multiples, not just a single. And they beat them up and it leaves them in the condition that is stated. Verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. Weiss puts it this way, by a coincidence of circumstances. <laughs> by a coincidence of circumstances. There's no point to this. It just happened to be, here comes the priest, and there's the man. 
That's important to note because this is the parable. Jesus makes everything up about this parable. There is not a single word, there is not a single condition that is not in this story that Jesus does not want it to be there. That's really important to understand. But he, he is coming up with this story to illustrate a point. By chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. I am told from people who know the history of this this uh, time uh, time of the uh, uh, when the when Jesus was around here, that these are normal supplies for travelers. I wouldn't have thought that. I would never think of going out and traveling and bringing oil and wine with me. But apparently, that's something that they did. This is not something that would be unusual for a traveler to have on them. So if you're wondering, why does they have oil and wine? Apparently, that is fairly normal. It wouldn't be normal to me, so I just want to make sure that you knew. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to them, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. All right, now we got through the parable. Does Jesus answer the question, who is my neighbor? He does not. He does not tell you who your neighbor is. What he tells you is that you should act neighborly. So we have two questions. Has Jesus answered them? How is it that Jesus does a teaching and doesn't answer the questions? Why would Jesus spend this much time and we don't have the first question answered. We don't have the second question answered. Jesus answered a question of his own. Maybe he expanded the original question. But he said it basically saying this. It is more important that you act neighborly than you determine who your neighbor is. Anybody read the quote in the bulletin this, this week? I enjoyed this. People are happy to love their neighbor as long as they get to decide who their neighbor is. <laughs> Isn't that right? I'll love anybody I decide I want to love. But if I don't want to love them, I don't want to have to. Now, the thoughts of the people who pass by. What are the thoughts of the priest? What are the thoughts of the Levi? Apparently, they're not that important because they are not mentioned. If Jesus wanted to mention them, he would have mentioned them. So there's no consequence to the story. We can try and read into their thoughts all we want to. It's not going to change the story because if it changed the story, Jesus would have told us what their thoughts were. Because it's his story. He's making it up. All that matters is what they did or didn't do in obedience to God. Your thoughts and your feelings as to why you disobey God are just as inconsequential. How many have always wanted to say, well, this is why I didn't... They don't make any difference. Why? <laughs> All that matters is the end result. The end result is you didn't do it. You didn't obey. So when you read over this, just understand, the reasons why you crossed over the other side and didn't help the man out, inconsequential. All that matters is what did you do? So Jesus eliminates the qualifying excuse. There's no reason to qualify who is your neighbor in order to determine should I administer care. Because this man does not know the, uh, the person on the ground. He has no idea who he is. There's no bond between them. And he said, you are to go and do likewise. Basically, you are to show mercy to those who need mercy. So whenever you see somebody who needs mercy, what are you supposed to do? Show mercy. What's the qualifying condition for you showing mercy? Someone needs it. That's, that's it. I was thinking about that when uh, Lamar was sharing his story from last Sunday. How many people dressed in our Sunday best see a person on the side of the road are going to pull over? How many, how can, you can think of some excuses. Well, I'm in a hurry. <laughs> People are depending on me being that. Well, I'm kind of dressed up right now. I'm not really ready for that sort of... Yeah, we can come up with all kinds of excuses. But what comes down to it is, what did we do? Did we show mercy or not? Now, this goes back 
you remember this, the story that Jesus told about judging and the speck and the log? When I don't pass mercy, I pass judgment. If I don't extend mercy, I have passed judgment. The priest going down didn't extend mercy. What did he do? Passed judgment. I don't know exactly what judgment he passed, but he passed some kind of judgment. The, the uh, Levite, same thing. Passed judgment. But we're supposed to go out there and do likewise. We've got to look for situations to find mercy. So when something rises up on the inside of me, and I think back to the parable that he told about the, the speck and the log, and I want to judge someone for what they're doing, but I haven't fixed it in me yet, I'm passing judgment. I'm not extending mercy. He said, go and do likewise. I've got to find places where I can extend mercy. I'm looking for places that I can extend mercy. He said, go and do likewise. Go out there and do the same thing. Now, there's no doubt that the need to be merciful is present in this teaching. Just like the, we looked at last week. When the Master returns, He wants to see people doing what they're supposed to be doing. We've got to do the same thing with this particular one. There is, a, there is an understanding from here that I am to extend mercy. But that does not answer any of the questions that were on the table. So, as we said, since Jesus taught in parables to conceal truth from those who don't actually seek it, how is it that so many have the same understanding of this particular parable? Now, what if, this is just sort of a what if scenario, and we can, I, I'm sure I won't know this until I get to heaven. Maybe when you, if you get to heaven before me, you can ask. But, but I wonder about this. Jesus made up this story. This is the person who lives in this area. This is a lawyer. This is probably a person who has made that trip before. What do you think the possibility is that this man was on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and saw such a situation? What do you think that he was going by and he saw somebody who was beat up by robbers because this place, it was common for robbers to rob people on the, on the path. What do you think would have happened? I think this guy, if he was a lawyer and he's asking this of Jesus and Jesus gives him this story, did he know? <laughs> I mean, that was just last week. But what, what would happen? I don't know if that happened or not, but I don't put that past Jesus. But here, we're going we're gonna to get into something. I wonder about this, since this parable, as we understand it right here, has not answered any of the questions on the table. Is there a bigger picture to this parable? Now, let me read this for you. Mark chapter 12 then one of the scribes, verse 28, one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, we don't sense that this guy is asking to test him, but he's actually seeking after something. Jesus answered him, the first, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared answer, ask, no one dared question him. I'm sorry. He said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. What does it mean to not be far from the kingdom of God? Are you there? If you are not far, you are not in. Isn't that right? Isn't that something Brother Keith used to always say? Partial obedience is no obedience. <laughs> You're still not obedient. Yeah. You are not far from the kingdom of God. This man had, had some revelation. But understand this. Revelation is not enough. He was still not in the kingdom of God. He's not far from it. 
but he's not in the kingdom of God. Just because you have revelation does not mean you're in the kingdom of God. So what's still needed? Well, we got three blanks in there I'm going to fill out for you right, right now. Having the revelation of what to do. Having the revelation of what to do without the realization of doing it will result in no reflection of God in our lives. Having the revelation of what to do without the realization of doing it will result in no reflection of God in our lives. No matter how much revelation the priest wanted to say that he had, he did not do what the Word would tell him to do. Therefore, did he reflect God? Did not. The Levite, no matter how much revelation he had on God, he did not realize in his life what the Word of God taught him to do. He also did not reflect the things of God. But this Samaritan did. Now, Jesus uses the term Samaritan because it is a despised group of people by the audience that he has. It's kind of like if you came into Philadelphia and you said Dallas Cowboy fan. It would be similar. I think it would be a little bit stronger for the for them. But do you remember what the first question was? First question was, how do I inherit eternal life? Do you think that it would make sense that if the original question is, how do I inherit eternal life, that Jesus does not address it at all? Does that make sense to you? The question is on the table. It was asked. Do you think Jesus would be content in letting a person who is hostile to the things of God answer the question for the people that are listening? Or is it possible that Jesus did give an answer to this question and we just don't see it? Well, I'm going to give you some understanding on this particular parable. That this parable actually looks at everything from the time of Adam's fall until the second coming. This, this parable is a very far-inclusive parable. The first part of this parable shows us the problem, and the second part demonstrates the answer. Now, the man went down to Jericho. man started on some one point, and he went down to Jericho. Let me tell you something about man. Man has constantly gotten worse. Man's condition continues to deteriorate. We are going down. As we said, this is about a 17 or a 20 mile, 21 mile road known as the Bloody Way. Along the way, he meets a thief. What's the thief do? The thief beats him, wounds him, takes all his stuff and leaves him half dead. Have you ever heard Jesus use that term before? Half dead? It should catch your attention if in the Word of God something is constantly repeated, and it should also catch your attention if something is only used one time. Why does Jesus use the term half dead? Well, some of the things that the, thief, the thieves, I should say, took, they stripped him of his clothing, took all of his clothing. I don't know why you'd... Maybe he had really nice clothes. I think I'd have to be pretty desperate to go out and take somebody's clothes that they're wearing that I'd want to take them for myself. But in the Word of God, do clothes represent anything? Remember when he gives... We haven't gotten into this one yet, but remember when he gives a parable of the wedding feast and someone was at the wedding feast and what did they not have? The wedding garment. We are clothed with righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Can you see that theme in Scripture? What you are clothed with has a lot to do with your spiritual condition. Righteousness. Even the armor of God is put into a clothing. Be clothed with. Be put on. So it stripped him of his clothing. You could actually say this. The thieves stripped him of his righteousness. Wounded him. Made him sick. And feeble. And left him half dead. In the book of Genesis, when we find out about this spiritual death, it says, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. How many remember that scripture? The literal Hebrew is this. In the day you eat of it, dying, you shall die. That's the literal Hebrew. It's hard to put that in English. 
basically what it's saying is this, this way. And you could term it and be fairly accurate to say this. You will be half dead until you are fully dead. You will be spiritually dead until you are physically dead. That's really what he was saying in the book of Hebrews, or in the, in the Hebrew language. The curse of the law is poverty, sickness, and death. Once everything is gone out of your life, once all the righteousness, sickness, spiritual death, once all that is, is taken, the thieves leave. Then, we have the priest who comes along, and he passes on the other side. How did, how did the priest come along? The priest came along by... Chance. And likewise, the Levite came along, which means in the same way that the Levite came, the priest came. They came by chance. However, the, um, the Samaritan, does he come by chance? Remember, Jesus picks every word here. The Samaritan is on a journey. Does not say that of the other ones. Says they're on a journey. Now, this particular road, the reason priests and Levites are on this road is because the priests and Levites uh, served in the temple. And then, once their service was done, they would go down to Jericho. They lived more in Jericho than in Jerusalem. I guess there was more room. Maybe it was cheaper living or something like that. Whatever it was, whatever the cause, they would live down there and then come on up to the, to the place to serve. So this is why they would be on this particular road. Just by chance it says they happened to come about. Well, in this story, Jesus says, how do you read the Word of God? He's telling you how to inter- inherit and interpret life. And what does he say? He gives the law, right? How else does the Old Testament saint believe that they receive eternal life? Beside obeying the law, there is one other thing that the Old Testament saint, not New Testament saint, one other thing the Old Testament saints would do to be saved. Do you remember what it was? Sacrifice. Bulls, goats, so forth. Jesus was going to be the the new sacrifice, but in the Old Testament they did sacrifice, right? They did sacrifice and they obeyed the law. These are the two ways they sought after salvation in this story the priest to the people represents the law the priests were the ones who taught them about the law the priests were the ones who instructed them on the law the Levite represents the sacrifices because it is the Levites who went through the work of the sacrifice that's why they were there they did the administrating of the sacrifices what Jesus is telling them here in this parable is You as a man got into a deplorable condition and it's getting worse. Along the way, as the thieves stripped you of your righteousness, took your health and afflicted you with spiritual death, along came the law. And the law went on the other side of the road because the law can see the problem but the law can't fix it. Then came the Levite. And the Levite did the same, passed by. Because the sacrifices make us aware of the problem, but they don't fix it. Because as Hebrews tells us, the inferiority of the, of the sacrifice is they had to be offered yearly, some yearly, and some on a regular basis, even more regular basis. Until Jesus came and Jesus was the final sacrifice. So what Jesus is telling them in this parable is that condition that you were in, that condition of being unsaved, the law came by and couldn't help. Sacrifices came by and they couldn't help. Now here's one that's a little bit puzzling. Might be for a little bit anyway. Then a Samaritan comes by and the Samaritan is the one who comes by and what's the Samaritan do? First off, he bandages up his wounds, right? That's the first thing he did. Is there not healing in the atonement? In fact, when Jesus came and ministered, what's the first thing he did with people? Think about it. When Jesus came into a town, what's the first thing he did with people? He healed their sick. And he had their attention. 
And then he taught them the word. He healed their sick. He poured in the oil and the wine. Anybody know what a type in the Bible of oil and wine is? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is poured in. And we're, we're given the Holy Spirit. There. Then he had to leave. This man had to leave and he promised to come back. What does that sound like? He drops the guy off at the inn and says, I have to go. But I will be back. Alright, so if the good Samaritan is represented by a Samaritan, if he's Jesus, why does Jesus want to be represented in the story by a Samaritan? Why would you do that? Is Jesus a Samaritan? No, he is a Jew. Oh, that messes up the whole thing. No, it doesn't. When Jesus came to bring the sacrifice of the Lamb, was He not despised and rejected by men? Did they not all shout, crucify Him? They rejected Him. They despised Him like a Samaritan. So Jesus is saying, the one who came in and helped is the one who was despised like a Samaritan. But he came in and he poured the oil and wine in. That's the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that in the story it makes a, a, a point that he put him upon his beast? What's the beast represent? We'll get to that in a minute. He then comes to the inn and he drops him off at the inn. And then he has an interaction with who? The innkeeper. Now, if you just came upon this inn the first time, you never met this innkeeper before, what's the innkeeper going to say about spending money for your guy? I don't know if you're coming back. How do I know you're coming back? But there seems to be either a relationship between the Samaritan and the innkeeper. So the innkeeper, all right, fine, we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll spend whatever we need. And we'll take care of it. Well, I would propose this. The innkeeper is the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus left, who did he leave us in the care of? In fact, when, the, when he leaves the Holy Spirit, does he not give the Holy Spirit things to use and to distribute for our needs while he is gone? And he gave him a blank check. Whatever else you need, just go ahead and spend it because when I get back, I'll, I'll sell it all out. <laughs> we'll take care of the whole thing. Well, I've represented to you this way. The Holy Spirit can be a number of things. He can be the oil and the wine. He can be the beast that helps carry him over to the inn. And he can be the innkeeper. What do you think the inn is? Where are you right now? In the church of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is administrating the church. He puts the gifts in. And those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He administers them. They're by His unction. And the Samaritan is on a journey. He's going somewhere and he's coming back. does not say where that is. It does not say he's going to Samaria. That can be assumed, but it is never said where he is going. It says he is going somewhere. And it also says that he left him with two Daenerys. You know what a Daenerys is? For them, for these people this time? Daenerys is a day's wage. Now I've heard some people, they try and uh, uh, account, well, Daenerys would be a day's wage. I don't know what it costs to have the person at the, at there. I don't know that one Daenerys is good for one day and another Daenerys is good for another day. But Jesus is making a point of two. Two, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came before. Very could be giving us an idea of the time. Jesus could have picked three Daenerys. He could have picked one Daenerys. He picked two. Again, everything in this story is as he wants it to be. 
What Jesus has done effectively in this parable is to tell you how you are saved. But he buried it so that only those who sought after it would find it. Everybody else is going to come out, well, show mercy to people, be kind. But the true meaning that he is getting across here is to answer the very first question that this man had. How shall I obtain eternal life? Let me tell you what. The law, living up to the law, it's not going to cut it. The law cannot help you. Sacrifice? Sacrifice is not going to cut it. Sacrifice is not going to help you. What will help you is the one that you despise will come along and bandage up your wounds. And you did absolutely nothing to get that man to stop and to use his supply to help you out. You did nothing. Remember the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the answer in according to this parable? Nothing. You just receive it. You receive the work that Jesus did. You receive His gift of the Holy Spirit. You reside in the hotel that He put you in. In the inn that He put you in. And you wait for His return. He answered the question. And they had no idea. (laughs) What a phenomenal... This would take me weeks to think this thing up. (laughs) I'd have to know the question was coming ahead of time. I'd be sitting out there trying to figure this thing out. And they asked Jesus this question and He, bam, just comes right out with this thing. How incredible is that? In the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we know that He is the oil in the new birth. He is the wine of the infilling. He is the beast that carries us from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. He is the innkeeper that watches over us and the one who distributes the riches and the goods that God has for us. That is our God. Well, the spirit of the world, you probably know this, wants a lawless society. And would also love a lawless church. They would love that. This man uttered the law. Jesus is saying the law is not going to cut it. The world would love a lawless society. And eventually they hope to get to a lawless church. How many people have you heard out there, well, just throw out all the law? Jesus in the story does not throw out the law. He says, what does the law say? Now I'm going to show you how you can fulfill the law better. The law is not ever to be thrown out. It's just we don't live up to the law to receive the thing that we want. There's a couple of ways that you can get people to despise laws. A couple of different. I know of two main ways that people are uh, that people have used to despise laws. One of the ways is to enforce them. That's one way you can get people to despise laws is to enforce them. Another way is to not enforce them. Either way, we'll get people to despise laws. How many know Ocean City, New Jersey? You know my favorite place out there? Most people know the history of Ocean City, New Jersey, but Ocean City, New Jersey started because of a bunch of um, Christian men who wanted to start a Christian resort. And they actually have a picture. If you go over to the... um, uh, uh, the, candy, the big candy shop over there by A Street. Can't think of the name of it now. If you go over to that, that spot, they have pictures on the inside. And one of the pictures is the men around the tree. They got around this tree and they prayed for God's direction and God's help. And they founded the city with certain laws. They were called blue laws. Anybody ever heard that term before? In the blue laws of Ocean City, you could not have alcohol in the city. At all. You could not bring it across the bridge into the city. You were not allowed to serve alcohol in the restaurants. And businesses were not to be opened up on Sunday. That's what the blue laws were. Now, I started delivering down there in the 80s, and I delivered down there into the 90s. And along that time, they had a particular mayor who came in, and he despised the blue laws. And he wanted to get rid of the blue laws. By the time I was there, the blue laws were not enforced. But they were abided by a lot. There was still no alcohol in the city. There was still no serving of alcohol in the city. 
but people sometimes would bring it in and keep it in the homes, but they would not bring it out in the beach or out in the places. And more and more businesses began to open up on Sunday, but technically they were not allowed to be. And so what they did was they began to enforce the laws so that these ones that they were not enforcing greatly were, just, were enforced all the time. And the people began to hate the blue laws. And so they put it up for a vote. How about we get rid of the blue laws? And so they did. I, don't know, I still believe it's illegal to bring alcohol or serve alcohol in the city. Um, and I don't think, um, I don't know if you're allowed to have it out in the beach. Might, might be allowed to do some of those things. But there's no law anymore about anything being closed. No they did that because they enforced them. Now I take a look at the gun laws. How many of you hear the gun violence and people say we need more gun laws? And yet every single one of those that I've looked at, I can't say every single one that I've, I've, that's out there, but every single one that I looked at that is a violation where people are taking a gun and shooting people, there is a break of the law. The law was not enforced that allowed this person to get the gun. So they did not enforce the law but then they want to say, we need more laws. Why? You didn't enforce the laws and these guys got these guns? So either enforce them or don't. But see, they'll, they'll blame the lack of enforcement on that we need more laws. Because the idea is to get us to a lawless society. That's why we have the riots. No, just let them riot. Just let them do whatever they want. Anybody can just walk into the stores, just shoplift whatever you want to anymore. That's, you can't stop them from shoplifting anymore, so businesses are pulling out and uh, all these, these kind of effects are going on because if we have a lawless society, it's, it's not good. It's going back to the Wild West. The only law was what's on your belt. You had a gun on your belt, what you say went. And uh, we don't want to get back to that sort of thing. The Bible called it this, every man did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> That's not a good place to be. And uh, Israel did not do well under that particular thing. But in the church, people want to get to the place where we despise laws too. And if I don't think that that's necessary, I don't want to do it. I don't think that I should have to do this. Therefore, I am not going to. Because I'm a law to myself. But you see, the Word of God is a law to us. And we do what His will is. So I want to continually learn what the Word is so that I go out there and I do what He wants me to do. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing to get a church to be lawless, but we are finding more and more this is going on. You're having churches that the United Methodist Church are having all kinds of uh, uh, breakaways and things because one group wants to uh, keep the, the roles that homosexuals are not involved in ministry. And the other one says, no, we want to have that. I think it's amazing if you had a pastor who was involved in adultery would that be okay? Don't we get upset when when uh, ministers are found in uh, amongst prostitution? Don't people get upset at that? But it's okay? We can violate the, the homosexual laws of the word of God? I don't think so. But you see they want to get you to that place where where this is okay. If we don't act on or live the kingdom principles, we're not in the kingdom. If we don't act on or live the kingdom principles, we are not in the kingdom. This man, he said, you're close to the kingdom. All right, it's good. You have the revelation of it, but now you've got to act on it. You've got to do what's in the, in the kingdom. Doesn't mean you've got to be perfect. Doesn't mean if you flub up that, well, they're not in the kingdom now. No, because your attitude is of such that I want to take what I learn about the word and put it to work in my life. And when I have a time when I miss it, well, I come to God, God, I missed it on that one. Uh, I need to do better than that. And Jim, you, you, you'll do better. You'll keep going out there just like with Peter. Peter, come on over here. I know you, you messed up, but come on, let's go. We're going to get back up here. We're going to keep doing this. That's how God re responds to us. But you see, my attitude is, is of such, I want what the Word says in my life. Not that I don't want that in my life because I don't believe that that's the way it ought to be. I submit to His will. But we act and we live out the kingdom principles. When we judge others, going back to the other parable, when we judge others, we're not showing mercy and we're not loving our neighbor. But how easy it is for us to fall into a judgment of other people. How we read or understand the law is what we should live by. Understand this. How we read or understand the law, that's how you should live. 
you can see this principle in a couple of places. First off, you saw it right here in this one. How do you read it? How do you read it? But there are other times in the Word of God where he's, he's asking, what's your understanding? And even in the parable he gives of the talents, we haven't got to that one yet, but we'll get there. And the, the person with the one talent, I buried your talent because I knew you were an austere man. And he gave some qualifications to him. And so the, what does the master say? I'll judge you by your own belief. Not by my will, but by your belief. You say this, but you didn't live it. If that's really what you believed, you would have put the money in the bank. But that's not really what you believe. You're just hiding behind it. We've got to make sure that what I understand the law to be, that I put it in, in work. There are some places in the Word of God it says something, and I don't understand why. I'm not understanding it. And so what I do is, I will do exactly what it says until I get a better understanding. <laughs> I need more understanding. I don't understand this. I've sometimes gone to God, God, I don't understand this part of Scripture. But I will do exactly what I understand it to, to be saying to me until you give me better revelation on this. And so that's how I, I go about it. When we look at other people and we begin to judge them and say, well, how come you're not doing this? And how come they're not living this way? If I can't live the principle by, that I understand myself, how can I impose it on others? I may be reading something in the Word. I may be understanding something in the Word, and I could be completely wrong. And I can't live up to it myself. Understand this. If it's in the Word, you can do it. Because the, how does Jesus describe the yoke? My burden is easy. My yoke is when we pick up one that is heavy, we have picked up the wrong one. Too many Christians are going out there and they are picking up the wrong one. And then they are imposing that on other people. Paul himself would teach the people in the New Testament, you are trying to get people to live up to a burden that none of you were able to live up to. Why are you going to put it off on these Gentiles? Make sure... And what you read, what you understand in the Word of God, put it to work in your life before you start putting it into anybody else's. Get to where you can live by what you say you believe before you impose it on other people. Jesus, in this beginning of this story, he wanted to know what's your standard? What is it that you understand? How is it that you're living? And when the man expressed his difficulty with it, then Jesus comes out with this parable. And just because you think you've understood the word does not mean that you've arrived yet. You may have some more to get going, some more to understand. If you're having difficulty living up to the level of understanding that you have or a level of understanding that someone taught you, it is very possible that your understanding is incomplete. Maybe that is completely wrong. But seek after God and find out. Because whatever God has taught us in his word we can do it in this life. I can get it done. And along the way, so we've looked at some of these, pro these parables so far. Along the way, I need to make sure that I'm extending mercy to the people that are around me and that I am receiving eternal salvation from Him because the law will not provide it for you. And no matter what it is that you're sacrificing, I know you're not sacrificing bulls and goats anymore. But still, a lot of times people say, well, I'll give this up for God. It's a sacrifice. You do not get anywhere with sacrifices and with obeying the law. That will not get you off the road and healed up. But what will is when you receive the work that the man who's on a journey stopped on that journey to administer mercy to you. Would you all stand up for me? Father, I thank you for your word, how it instructs us, how it helps us. And Father, you have opened up in your word the way that we should live. The enemy wants to complicate it. The enemy wants to make it hard for us. The enemy wants to put a yoke on us that is far too much and then have us put it on other people. But your desire is that we walk in mercy we need to receive mercy, so we should walk in it. We should look for opportunities to extend mercy. But just as we received 
the salvation, salvation work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We need to extend mercy and help others to receive the same. Not put upon them that they need to do this and they need to do that. They need to be this way before we'll even look on them. Because they are just someone on the side of the road who is beaten and robbed, clothing taken off, righteousness stripped away. But along came Jesus. And he administered the things that we needed. Put us in a place of healing. And it's coming back for us. I thank you for it. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you learned something from this well-known parable. Had some, some enjoyment with that. On, um, on Monday, it actually is up there. I put a, a teaching up there for you. Uh, I didn't really find one that jumped out at me and said, oh, this is a great teaching one that out there. But I was uh, investigating some. How many have ever heard of a church called Victory, Victory Christian Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Anybody ever heard of that church? I don't think too many of you probably had. Victory Christian Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma actually has many of the things in Tulsa have its roots there. And Victory had its roots in Sheridan, and Sheridan Christian Center had its roots in every, everything had their roots in Sheridan Christian Center. Victory came out of that. Raymond came out of Sheridan. Other things came out of Victory. It was amazing the things that had come out from this thing. They used to meet in the ORU. When I was going there, they were meeting in the ORU um, assembly room. They were, they were that big. They had that whole assembly room. Uh, John Tash, you remember, he was, used to have been out here before. John and Shirley Tash, they'd been out here helping us out with some things. And they were the children's pastors in this church. Uh, Billy Joe Doherty was the pastor when I was going there. I, actually, I, didn't, I never attended Victory. I went to some of the word explosions and things like that, but Billy Joe was the pastor. Billy Joe was a good pastor and was probably the largest church in the city at the time I was attending Raymond. That was in the 80s. It was a very good church, a very influential church. They did many things. Around 2011, Billy Joe Doherty died. His wife took over the church, and she, uh, Sharon pastored the church. I don't know how long it was that she pastored the church, but eventually the boys grew up, and uh, I believe at least two of them are in ministry. I don't, I'm not even sure how many boys they had. I was thinking they had three, uh, but I know two of them are in ministry. And uh, Paul is the pastor of the church now. It's now called Victory Church. And so what I did to set this one up is I, I gave you one of uh, Pastor Paul's recent messages. It's just one he did, I think, uh, three weeks ago. Uh, he did, and it's a good one to, to hear. He's teaching from the book of Proverbs, and he's um, talking about uh, the gate, guarding the gate, making sure that the, the gate into you is guarded. And it's a good message that is on that, but uh, i give you a taste of someone else. It might be a, a style that, you know, oh, boy, I really appreciate the way he brings the brings the word. Lamar was over there listening to it in the, <laughs> here this, this morning, so he's, he can give you the scoop on that. Um, underneath of that, on the, on the text that I'll send you out and also on the Facebook post, I put a link down there if you want to take a look at his father. Uh, I found one from, from him. He's actually at a conference. It wasn't at the church. So if you want to see a little bit about the Billy Joe and some of the things that he would teach, he was, he's a very subdued teacher. He's not uh, flamboyant in any way, shape, or form. But um, he's, he, like I said, it was the largest church in Tulsa at the time that I was um, out there. Uh, I don't know what it is now. I um, haven't really followed up on it uh, too much. But that's out there. And uh, his, his, uh, his wife, Sharon, she did teach. She was the pastor there for a while. I haven't gone through some of the ones that were there of her, but I will go through some of them. And if I find one that's thrown up there, maybe I'll throw that up underneath uh, uh, his. And so if you want to get a taste of some other things, this is all coming from uh, Victory Church or Victory Christian Center out there in Tulsa, and maybe that might be something that you can, can enjoy. But they were very influential in a lot of things. Billy Joe did, um, uh, quite a, had a, quite a bit of influence in the city that was out there, so that's out there for you to, to enjoy. This uh, Wednesday night, we're back into, we're still in Zechariah. We're looking at chapter 10. In chapter 9, just uh, anybody not go back up there and listen to it yet? I don't want to give you a review if everybody's heard of a couple. Okay. In chapter 9, the setting for this was they were about 40 or 50 years after the um, previous chapter. And people were still afraid 
of their neighbors coming and attacking them, burning down their temple that they worked so hard for. There was fear. There was anxiety. There was worry. And it was wearing on the people. And they were feeling under all these particular things. And so we look at their situation. We look at the word that came to them. And we look at how do you get out from a situation where you are under fear and worry and these things have just dominated your life. So at the end of that, we spend some time on, on those particular things. And we look at some of the things in the Word that will help you to get out from underneath that. Because it's no good if you just identify the problem. You want to know how to get out of it. So that's on the Wednesday night service. You can go up on YouTube. You can go up on Facebook. You can also podcast it. Go up on the website. There's a link to it from the website. All those things are available to you if you want to get out there and to, uh, to do those things. And I um, hope that you enjoy that. Oh, and... Um, we challenged you last week for the month of August. Look for people to invite. Basically, we want you to go out there and look for people to have mercy on. Look for people to have mercy on. And don't pass them by. Well, I don't really know them, and I don't know if they want to hear from me. We have those uh, blue cards, navy blue cards that are uh, scattered around the church. You can hand them one of those. That's a nice little invite card that you give them. Gives them the address, gives them the website, gives them a lot of information like that. If you have a hard time finding them, uh, some of our ushers in the back there will help you, help you find those. And be looking for people. And for the month of August, who can I bring out with me? Who can I extend mercy to? Who can I go, come along the way and to uh, take somebody who's in a fallen condition? They're beat up. They've been stripped. They have no righteousness on them at all. But they can receive the work that Jesus has for them. And you can be the one that helps show them mercy. Also, my wife has a, uh, been working on, uh, some of the ladies have been working on getting the retreat ready. And so somewhere at the end of September, beginning of October is going to be the date. You'll need to let her know. They want to put some finalized plans on this. So if you would be interested, ladies, if you're interested in going on the retreat, uh, see my wife um, and, and let her know that you are interested and the people that are involved in this will, will get in touch with you. Have a great rest of the day. We'll see some of you here on Wednesday.